Hello, dear listener. Thank you for downloading, streaming, listening to the Spooky Doings podcast. My name is Rick Guzman. I'm an improv comedian from New York. Chelsea's not joining us today. And that's that's her big loss because we have uh, some wonderful filmmakers who made a fantastic film. We've got uh, the director of The Ranger, Jen Wexler, back on the podcast. But we also have co-writer of her new film, Sacrifice Game, Sean Redless, joining us today. And thank you both for being on the show. How are you doing tonight? Good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. I've been wanting to have you back on the show for a while, Jen. And now that I know Sean helped write this movie, uh, which I love, it's a bonus. It's a twofer. It's it's a wonderful <laughs> day to spend a wet December evening talking to wonderful, creative people. Um I was lucky enough to see this movie at a screening at the IFC Center. Uh, the incomparable Heather Buckley gave me a satanic tattoo, and then I found my seat. So <laughs> how how this come about? What was the impetus for, for this project? Because I've been a fan since The Ranger, and I've just been waiting and waiting, and the, the wait was worth it. So what kicked this off? Oh, thank you. Um... Yeah, uh, well, I wrote the first draft of this back in 2013, so even long before I started working on The Ranger. And then um, I realized that I needed to learn how to make movies first. Uh, so I, I set the script aside. I focused on learning how to make movies, uh, producing and then directing. Um, I turned my attention to The Ranger. I felt that would be uh, just easier to achieve budget-wise, having a couple punk characters in the woods um you know facing off against a killer park ranger then having a boarding school and a snowstorm and all the things that are in the sacrifice game but then after the ranger came out in 2018 um i found the script and i shared it with sean and then he and i started working on it together cool and sean what's your relationship like with horror have you been a lifelong fan did you come to it uh in your formative years what, um, what's your yeah. horror origin story please i was my horror origin story is really interesting because i kind of lost touch with it for a little while but came back Ooh. to it strong so i was definitely uh, a little monster kid i love the universal monster movies um i had uh frankenstein and dracula i had a glow in the dark poster on my wall my bedroom wall as a kid with all of the universal monster monsters in it um i went as dracula for halloween um I read the Tomb of Dracula comics from, Mar- from Marvel. Um, and then I kind of got, I kind of drifted over into the science fiction world as I got into my teen years. And I read a lot of sci-fi, but kind of not as much horror. I wasn't, I didn't make it over to the Stephen King stuff. Um, but then later in my life, I went to go work for sci-fi, what was then called the Sci-Fi Channel, which was a mix of science fiction, horror, and fantasy. So that kind of rekindled some of that with some of my great coworkers. A lot of folks really passionate about that. And then later on, um, I worked for a company called Fearnet that some of you mm-hmm. longtime horror fans might remember. Uh, it was a Lionsgate, Sony, Comcast thing that uh, no longer exists. But that's where I met Jen. We were both working at Fearnet. I was working in the digital department. She was working in the marketing department. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, it's been a love story ever since. And I've worked uh, at Fearnet. I worked at Shudder for quite some time. And uh, I love watching our movies. We see a ton of them. I love working on them with Jen. And I hope to make some more. Oh, shucks. I think he likes you. <laughs> <laughs> and we should also just say for anybody listening that we are married now. 
Um, and horror was a big part of our relation, our dating relationship too. Like our first, our first date was seeing The Shining in <laughs> LA. So, one of the great love stories of history. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that that is that is a wonderful thing when you can share the spooky things with with the partner that you love and, and have a cuddle and uh, it's also a good litmus test of what kind of person is this so they are cover their eyes kind of person because i don't see it lasting if they are <laughs> but if they're if they're an oh snap kind of viewer you're like all right that's a keeper i uh, heard um sean's mother read a survey or some article sometime and she loves to talk about this at every holiday she brings up how like People who, couples that love horror uh, apparently stay together for long, long periods of time. There's something about horror that bonds couples together. I think if you really love horror, it becomes sort of a worldview as well as an entertainment choice. And it speaks to sort of having two minds that see the world in a similar way. That That is accurate. And I believe I sat a few seats down from your mom at this screening and she seemed lovely. She is. And I will tell her you said so. Thank you so much. Please do. Not so, a horror fan, but she's a fan of Jen's movies. So. She did, yeah, she did not leave the screening at any <laughs> point. Uh, she seemed there and I wasn't looking over at her because, you know, I was fixated on the movie, but I, I didn't hear the reactions like my mom would give, which like, oh, why do you watch such things? <laughs> which, because it's fun. So so back back to this movie, you pick it up after uh, working on the Ranger and you're working on it together and you, you've you talked in that Q&A a bit about, you know, being a teenage girl and not fe- feeling seen. At what point do you take that, rework it, and think, Let- let's make this a Christmas film? I think it was always, even from the first draft, it was a Christmas movie because there was just something to the idea of being left behind your at your boarding school during the holidays that felt extra crushing for our for our characters and you know like how can we this is something like I learned in screenwriting school which is like how can you torture your characters the most um emotionally so when thinking about like what holiday makes sense for them to be lost behind well Thanksgiving okay fine maybe spring break mm, but Christmas there's like so much family stuff tied into Christmas and if you're deserted on Christmas it's like for, for like a 14 year old it's like really crushing mm-hmm. so uh so that the christmas element came in very early in the original concept now please pardon my ignorance because i'm not a writer nor do i collaborate with writers but how does the collaboration process in writing go do you just like brainstorm and write things out longhand or do you take turns at the laptop? What's your process to make something uh, as good as Sacrifice King? Thank you. Um, Well, I had, again, I'd written the first draft of the script. I didn't feel it quite worked. So in 2018, I was just bouncing ideas off of Sean, using Sean as a sounding board. We live together. That happens naturally. And, um, and then Sean suggested an idea that like unlocked, the story for me and kind of reframed everything for me. 
What and was that idea? That idea. We're going to go into spoiler territory now for anybody. We're, yeah, we're going to spoil the shit out of this okay. movie. So, so uh, I recommend everybody you know, pause the podcast, watch the movie, uh, and then you know let let's get into it because I'm a I'm a talk some some shit about the movie, <laughs> and I, I mean shit in the uh, complimentary, not pejorative way. In the specific way. Okay, so uh, the Sean suggested so originally Clara. Uh, was possessed by a demon and Sean suggested what if Clara is the demon and I was like holy shit yes and it was like a mic drop moment where he just walked in the room and was like Clara's the demon and then walked out of the room and I was like are you joking yes oh my goodness and that just was really exciting to me because I felt that that suddenly made her character much more active she wasn't just like young girl being possessed making her passive she was active she was like planning this whole thing she's been planning it for hundreds of years she's waiting for this to finally manifest and um and I I just got so excited about finding the the parallels between being a teen girl and being a demon um so it opened up a whole world for me so after Sean suggested that then uh I started you know sharing the laptop with him and he started diving into scenes and I was like, Oh, I'm really stuck on this scene over here. And then Sean would be like, okay, well this, here's a monologue about Vietnam. I'll, I'll handle this. And he like, cause you know, older, older than me guy who do one time. Uh, the girl, the like lonely girl at the boarding school stuff, not my like wheelhouse. Um, <laughs> uh, overzealous guys who think they know the answer to all the questions and want to monologue about it. Yes. I get that. Or, you know, historical facts and trying to figure out what was what where was the Vietnam War in 1971 and how would people have thought about it back then uh you know so like those those were areas where I was able to lean into it and I think in particular um uh well we both really love writing for Clara I feel like Samantha was definitely you know near and dear to Jen's heart and uh, I found a lot of synergies with um Jude and with Doug that I got to play out in the in the screenwriting and the bottom line was it was Jen's script and she invited me into the process and had she thought my contributions were garbage, then that probably would have been the end of it. But fortunately, she liked what I was contributing, and it was it was opening up new ideas that she had. And then by the time you actually get around to shooting the movie, you kind of even forget who came up with what. It all just feels like two brains melded into one. And sometimes in a fun way, not in an aggressive way, but in a fun way, we will argue about like a line and be like, I wrote that. And then he's like, no, I wrote that. And we have little... And probably Laurent, who plays Doug, improvised it. That's probably the real answer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to talk a lot about Doug because I, I really <laughs> love him and Clara the most uh, in this movie. But uh, we we had a couple words uh, after the screening, uh, Sean and I, and you asked me, did I see the twist coming? And uh, I answered honestly, like I wasn't even looking for it. Uh, I'm a little bit weird when I like a filmmaker. I don't want to know shit in advance except the title and when I can see it. And so Jen earned that trust in the Ranger. So when you announced, hey, I've got another movie on Shutter, I'm like, something I need to know. And I just sat back and enjoyed the ride. I wasn't trying to figure out uh, anything. Just, I'm there. I'm digging it. Oh, snap. Uh, I like Doug. And, and, and I, sh I should mention, um, you know, I, I ask because some people come to us and say, I love the movie, saw the twist coming, but really loved how you handle it. Other people say, I love the movie, never saw the twist coming. So I'm always kind of curious, 
what kind of film goer, what kind of, what kind of audience is the one that's kind of keyed into it versus for whom it's a surprise and knowing how well, you know, horror and how deep you go into the genre. I was like, if we could get one past you, then I think that we get mm-hmm. one from a lot of people. But I also appreciate that you went into it just like not trying to figure it out. You just went into it to enjoy a movie and see mm-hmm. where it takes you. And personally, that's the way I, I like to be, because as a horror fan, I, I'm always like, I think our brains are kind of trained to like look for tropes. And I find the most enjoyable experiences that where, you know, I go into a movie, I'm just like, okay, let's go on this adventure together and see what happens. Yeah, sometimes uh, it starts mostly because of previews. Some previews don't reveal way too much. But, you know, if, and and COVID definitely changed my brain in a lot of ways. If I get too thinky, I'm out of the movie and trying to figure out little things. That's for, you know, when I watch it, a, you know, second, third, and so on time. And at watching it a second time before this interview, yeah, you guys set all the, the clues in place really well like oh i i clearly didn't see that the first time i was just just digging little looks little glances little things uh that clara says um chloe levine who's back in this film as the teacher talking about the the town having a fire centuries ago uh as the character rose it's like oh the the, everything is if it was a snake it would have bit you (laughs) <laughs> we like to play fair we wanted to put those breadcrumbs there so that if you watch it a second time and thank you for watching it a second time you can you can see that we we kind of put the cards on the table we just didn't point at them <laughs> exactly it, it's 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 all right there and then you can go back and like ah it's it's not quite usual suspects but everything's <laughs> everything's there if you see it coming or just enjoy the ride which again uh, I did. You mentioned you shot this in Canada in a castle. Uh, it was an abbey. abbey. It, it was, was an, an abbey. abbey. It was an abbey that looked to, that felt to me like a castle. And, and I figure it being you know older than a lot. So nothing was filmed on a soundstage anywhere. No, everything was there on that so location. Having a little bit of onset experience is that difficult to get the sound right because some strange things echo on modern microphones and there have been times I'm like I think I'm sipping my coffee quietly only to find out I'm not (laughs) well I'll say that certainly our sound team was like uh this room like the parlor where the big ritual happens which we were in for several days in a row um our sound team was definitely like oh my god the echoes in this room like they were not enjoying it but they were great. And then between them and our post sound uh, designer and mixer, uh, Matt Sherman, like this, the sound was, they did an incredible job, all of them. Another thing, because even though it's a period piece set in the 70s, uh, which I like, and I'll have a follow up question about the time period. Um, you got a little Tarantino in that, you know, we're going to use some modern music in that. And you start the movie with a band that I love, L.A. Witch. How'd you pick that one? Well, they were just, that song had been on my, um, on, I always make a playlist when I'm writing a project. And they were like number one on my playlist since like 2018 when I dove back into the, into the script. 
And then um, when I was, I put playlists together for the actors as well. And I individualize them. So there's different songs on different people's playlists. So that song was like number one on Maisie's playlist. I really associated that song with Maisie's character. And, um, and then when it came, when it came, to, once we shot it, I like that night, like as soon as I got back to my hotel room and I got the footage, I opened Premiere. I put that song underneath the scene and I showed the producers and I was like, guys, look at this. And everybody was, was into, everyone was like, oh my God, we need to get that song. So, you know, fortunately dreams worked out and, and we got the song. And, and, and it works in that, that opening long shot, very Scorsese, very Carpenter, but you know, bloody as fuck, which I, I love that kind of thing. Uh, so your your introduction of like it's like Puffy meets Last House on the left. It's like yep yep you've you've set that up and then title card. Uh, yeah. So back to the time period of setting that in the seventies. Um, where'd that come from? Is that just a good way of saying well you know a cell phone is not a solution in this situation because it, I mean, it, it, it in modern cool. stories that's usually an easy way out. That cert- it that certainly helps. Um, for me, I it it, it worked. Uh, it excited me to to set it in that time period on many levels, story levels, aesthetic levels. I'll say aesthetically, I I was just really interested in creating this like fairy tale world that felt of the early seventies and go and like getting to dive into those costumes and those that set dressing and and everything you know when we talk about the production design of the movie it's the movie takes place in 1971 but the school is filled with stuff from prior to 71 too because this is a place that would have accumulated stuff over time um but then story-wise you know this is a gang that we said in 71 obviously like uh manson murders were on our minds and this is like a gang that would have been aware if they existed in the real world, would have been aware of the Manson murders and maybe were like inspired by them. And they're going on their own little adventure uh, of murder, murder adventure up, you know, in the Northeast. But in our, even in our lookbook, I was like, this is like the Manson family, you know, battling a winter storm in terms of like their clothing and stuff. Um, and there's a certain kind of um, cult killer, sort of sleazy, probably was a hippie, but kind of turned bad, that you can do in the 70s, that Last House on the Left does so well, where you wonder where these guys came from and, and like, you know, why they missed the sort of peace and love counterculture uh, boat and went in this other direction. So it um, it felt right, whereas I think if you said it in the 80s, they're a different kind of cult. If you said it in the 90s, they're a different kind of cult. There's just different sort of flavors. Um, and then beyond that, just we had so many inspirations filmically from Black Christmas, one of the greatest Christmas horror movies ever, uh, to... Uh, I, I, definitely my favorite. Absolutely. Um, uh, to The Exorcist, to Rosemary's Baby, to uh, so many other movies in that era. Suspiria. Suspiria, or, yeah. yeah. Girls living together at a school and things going terribly wrong. So, like, all those things, the Mansonist stuff of it, the interesting fashion choices, the... The, the the weirdness of the period and then the, the inspirations that we had it all kind of fits checked all the 71 boxes actually I want to go back to soundtracks for a second because I told Jeremy home this story when he was kind enough to be on the podcast pre 
uh, lockdown, my lady and I went on a little trip through Tennessee, uh, through the mountains in Gatlinburg. So, of course, we did have to put on the Ranger soundtrack and enjoy that as we go through the winding leafy areas and remember, you know, we have to clean up after ourselves. Otherwise, Jeremy home going to get us. (laughs) He's out there. He is delightful, though. So I, I, I asked him and he agreed. If those young punkers had just behaved a little bit differently, they could have had a better time. <laughs> it definitely would have had a better time. That's for sure. But, but, taking, but it's in their nature. Yes. Could they really behave differently? Or if, if they are who they are, you take them out of the city, you put them in the woods, they're going to do what they're going to do. Speaking as someone who's a little bit rebellious, I just know to clean up after myself. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's how I make sure that I keep all of my limbs. There you go. <laughs> Speaking of the Ranger, uh, nice to see Chloe Levine back as Rose. A little bit more groans up. Um, besides previously working with her, uh, at what point do you say she's the one that I want to play this teacher in this movie? Well, it was really uh, like when I when we finished the Ranger, Chloe and I became very good friends. And uh, when Sean and I started working on it together, I was I was writing it with Chloe in mind. And actually, she did a photo shoot um, probably in 2018 or something. And there was a photo of her, and I was like, and this is the same time that we were writing. And I was like, oh my god, that's Rose! Like that is this this like modeling photo that you just did like that's exactly how I imagine Rose and so that was definitely it was just one of those things like I held on to as we were developing it and then when the time came where we got to cast like she was the first person that I was like we need to get Chloe as Rose kind of envisioning you having a Mulholland Drive situation of this is the girl <laughs> this is the girl <laughs> always and and also um uh what was I going to say? Oh my god, I just lost my thought. Um, I got I got distracted by Mahal, the Mulholland Drive reference. Suddenly we're all in Winky's Diner. It's very it's very disconcerting. Um, this Winky's. <laughs> but um, but yeah, just that uh, she Chloe's primarily played high school students, some college students, you know. So it felt really natural to say, okay, young teacher, just a few years out of teaching college, you know, working with young younger people. So it just felt like a really great role to sort of bring her into the adult world. And I also I also felt it would be fun to murder my best friend halfway through the movie. <laughs> Don't we all wish we could do that? <laughs> Since she was, you know, she's the hero of the Ranger, it's it's fun to, you know, have her take a different path in sacrificing. Why not? I, it's it's hectic. <laughs> Challenge somebody. Has it can you can you die on command? And what a beautiful death she gives, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, glorious in that. At the okay. hands of, I hope I pronounce this correctly, Mina Masood. Mina Masood, yes. Yeah, who played Jude. And I say this again, complimentary, not pejorative at all. He's a creepy smiling motherfucker. <laughs> he's, he's, he's also a very charming motherfucker if you see him in Aladdin or in some of the sort of Lifetime movies that he's made where he's the handsome guy that the main character ends up with. Um, his his filmography has got one really nasty character in it, and it's our movie. But boy, <laughs> does he nail that. And here's hoping that more casting directors see that evil charm and, and put it to good use. Yeah, I, I found out that he played Aladdin after 
going on IMDb after seeing your movie. And it's like, really? Okay. But that that smile is just hypnotizing and and, and goosebumply inducing of <laughs> this guy that you, you know is vile. And unfortunately, that Jude character by the end of the movie, a little stupid, but <laughs> outside of the demonic influence, it's like, no, you haven't figured this part out yet. The poor thing. Or as they say in the I South, would, bless your I, heart. Bless your heart. I would, to me, he was, when we were writing it, and certainly when making the movie, like, he is just representative of this kind of person that believes so much in what they think is correct that they will harm other people because their higher power says it's okay, even if they don't fully understand. They act like they fully understand everything and they don't. Even with evidence, glaring evidence to the contrary, yeah. to still be arguing that like, no, I, 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 I'm I, the one in charge here. It's like, your ear has been removed and no yeah. one did... And no one did a little dancey dance to stuck in the middle with you during it. It's just gone. <laughs> yeah. And, but Mina like totally got the character and it was so cool that he was like, you know, he was willing to go to these extreme places and it was like so fun going on that journey with him. <laughs> but yeah, my, my, one of my two favorite characters is, is Doug played by Laurent. <laughs> Petri? Did I pronounce that correctly? Oh, Petra, and I don't even Petra. think I'm pronouncing it right. When you're when you're from Quebec, you're mm-hmm. able to say it in the, <laughs> with the full French accent, which I cannot personally the, do. The, the Quebecois of it all? Yes. yes. <laughs> I love Doug uh, not only because uh, he reminded me of a friend of mine a little bit physically, but I felt Doug represented uh, the voice of the audience when things start to go south and certainly my voice that uses comedy uh, as a coping mechanism of like oh great more hallway and <laughs> noticing things of like and did we do yeah, all you know, of this you see all these horror movies all these horror movies where people like break into places they've never been before and they know exactly where to go they, I, I get lost in big big bureaucratic buildings all the time so it was really fun to to, to, to actually put that beat there in the screenplay it, it worked so, and, and just the uh, observation, say something kind of funny, because you need, uh, again, speaking as an improv comedian that loves horror and has a horror-themed show, they they relate so well. So you can show all of the, the spooky, grotesque things, and then you need to you know, loosen up your audience a little bit with a laugh, only like get them again. So, yeah, I, I you said, Sean, you... you the helm for a lot of uh, Doug. Please give me your take on him. Well, I would see that's an example where I would fight him and be like, no, I did a lot of Doug. We but, both did a lot of Doug. But, sorry to cut you off, uh, <laughs> Sean. <my husband. laughs> um, but that line specifically was definitely an improv by Laurent. Yes. <laughs> Credit where credit's due. Um, but uh, but yeah, the, the idea that you're um, you you put yourself in a bad situation because you're pursuing something that you're never going to get. Uh, you know, is something I think many of us go through in our twenties, where uh, where where we don't really have the perspective to sort of see things as they are, but we imagine them as we hope they might be. 
Um, and I just, I, I, I found the character so relatable. As you say, he becomes sort of a surrogate for the audience, but not so much in a way of like scream and post scream where he's a horror movie fan and he's calling out the tropes, but more that he's just trying to like question the premises, uh, of the movie, some of which are kind of, you know, kind of out there. Um, but, uh, and then trying to do the right thing, which is get the hell out of there before shit goes down, mm-hmm. which he almost succeeds in doing, but Claire is a step ahead. I, I, also ahead, really go. fun working with Laurent because, you know, Laurent was really in our, in our initial conversations when Laurent was like kind of starting to get into the character, he was really, uh, or he was talking a lot about like, when am I, this is kind of a, uh, a persona in the first half of the movie he's like putting a persona on to kind of fit in with the gang he's like i i'm i'm playing a role as part of this gang hoping this thing is going to work out and then you know when the just they re- the reveal that like the demon isn't just going to come right away he's the first one that's like okay never mind like fuck <laughs> fuck that persona this like screw all of this you guys don't know what you're doing and uh and I just thought it was really like we wrote uh, Doug a, a certain way, but you know, Laurent brought so much life into the character and so much dimension into the character. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you mentioned it because regardless of of who you are, if you lived at all in your 20s, you did make some kind of decision that I know I didn't have that uh, that mentality to figure out that quickly of like oh i've made a huge mistake right <laughs> here but uh usually in the pursuit of of love uh which which doug does uh towards Maisie, it's like oh this is this isn't working out quite the way i thought and he he stayed on that train a little longer than he should have and then eh, another day another doug as they say <laughs> and uh one of the Thor movies. Um, but the, the, the lady, at least in front of the camera that I don't normally like kids in horror movies. I usually actively root against them, but Georgia Akin as Clara, she's a talent that I'm going to be the next time I see her in something even if it's not something I typically watch, not in horror, I'm like, you're whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Cause whatever age you are, you're clearly going to get better. And you're already really fucking good. <laughs> I don't have a question to that. Just say something. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, so casting on movies, especially independent horror features is a little bit tricky. Sometimes you get certain names because it all unlocks financing, which enables you to make the movie. And we have some really amazing names. Olivia Scott Welch and Mina Masood being names that, you know, have she was in Fear Street and a lot of other stuff. He was in Aladdin, a lot of other stuff. So these are names that you know you can sell a movie with. And then you have to figure out who's going to play the rest of the roles. And we knew that this Clara role, I mean, all the roles we hope have depth and nuance, but Clara is a tough one to check because you need somebody who can plausibly be a high school student and also plausibly be a demon uh, at the same time. And um, a lot of those were due to just really terrific um, Canada-based casting agents who found great actors, who gave great auditions. And from the second we saw George's amazing audition, we were like, as you said, uh, this is the girl. Um, we, we, we were right there that she had everything it took um, to, to do it. And really, honestly, all of our leads who maybe you haven't seen in other things before, 
Um, Laurent, we've talked about. Um, uh, Madison, who plays Samantha, we haven't talked about yet. Uh, and Derek, who plays Graham, we haven't talked about yet. All four of them came from that process. And we couldn't have asked for four better actors to make those, to bring those characters to life. And you have seen, like, Derek, who plays Grant, in things, including um, he's love sausage in The Boys. <laughs> and what a, what a different role that is. Yeah. Very different. Very different. But, but, but Georgia had a really tough task. I mean, they all did, and they all, they all, they all did a great job. But, but we, I, was, I, we, I felt so lucky that we got somebody who really understood how to play this really tricky role and who herself was a teenager at the time, still is a teenager, uh, you know, now uh, making the movie. That's, that's, you know, you don't find somebody like that every day. Right. It, I, I assume it's very difficult to find a teenager who can make an audience believe that they're a centuries, at least, old demon, if not longer. That they're, they're w- Once the re- revelation happens, I, you don't see a child anymore. She does not, there's nothing about her expression or uh, speech that says, this is a kid, that's gone. Yeah, she's incredible. Bravo! If 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 the young lady is listening to this, or next time you you speak to her, like, yeah, there's a dude in New York that thought you were really good, and <laughs> you kind of creeped him out a little bit too. Uh, well, she would take that as a compliment for sure. It's meant as a compliment. <laughs> and really, in that cl- like, she, there's two scenes near the end. One where she does where she's with Samantha, and you feel the teen girl energy coming between them as they're sort of hashing out their relationship. And then also with all of the gang, where she is in charge of the gang, and she's taken over the where once they were they had captives tied up, and they were running the show. Now she's running the show, and not only is the character you know run, running things, but this is a young actress who's got to be the commanding presence around this table with actors who've been doing this a lot longer than she has. And boy, does she, does she own that table in that scene? Very, very much. It, it, it felt at that point, and I only thought about this with the second viewing, it felt that this movie is in the same box that you'd keep Psycho or From Dust Till Dawn, a movie that starts about one thing, and then by the end of it, it's a completely different thing. And that's fun, especially when you don't, you you go in not thinking about it. I envy people that saw Psycho and didn't know it was Norman Bates's movie. The ones that thought it was Marion Crane's movie were in for a big fucking surprise. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, talking about uh, the teenage girl aspect and Madison Baines, who played Samantha, I did like that confrontation because I remember witnessing it in high school of young people that could become very close friends very quickly and then very uh, arch enemies to each other just as quickly. And then if they talked it out, they could become friends again. And it felt like that happened in a, in a very floaty manner. (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, yes. Uh, I mean, when we were writing it, I was thinking a lot about what are the feelings of when you first fall in love or friend love with somebody and you're just like so curious about the person and you like want to know them. Um, I've had a lot of female best friendships and uh, there's always that little moment in the beginning, like who should make the first move? I think we're eyeing each other. And so that th- this night in this movie to me is both of them like, 
you know, coming together slowly. Um, and then at the end, they cement their their friendship. But Madison playing Samantha, like, she's like, we talk about this all the time. She's like the heart of the movie. She is like, and when we saw her audition, she was so, vul- Madison was so vulnerable in her audition that it was like, okay, that's great. That's only going to grow once we're on set working together. And, um, and yet, but we needed somebody like her to be this like emotional, just like open wound of the movie that you're like, oh. Clara is the more showy part and, and gets to dance and do a lot of other fun things. But um, Samantha has two um, telephone scenes, which if you talk to actors are often really hard to do. You're, you're not really on the phone with somebody. There's usually a, you know, a script assistant or editor uh, off in the sidelines reading the lines back to you. And those are unbroken takes where it's just a camera on a girl's face talking on a phone, having a really emotional journey. And she, she just knocks, knocks them out of the park both times. And, and she, you know, some of the, our, our victims notwithstanding, she's the best person in there in this story, just trying to do the right thing. I mean, she didn't know she specifically who she was doing it for, but she made her choice. And you see the moral compass pointing true north. And, and, and I applaud that. Um, there's a lot of practical stuff in this movie, but let's talk about, you know, the leveling up a little bit, clearly money-wise, to having some some digital effects on those bonds and that uh, table scene and, you know, making Clara float uh, towards the end of the movie. How's that as a, as a director for you? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, we worked with a great um, VFX team called Real by Fake, um, and they've, they've made incredible stuff, including like HBO TV shows like Big Little Lies and, um, and, uh, what's the objects one? Sorry. Uh, Watch it. I can't remember the Sharp name. Objects. Sharp, Sharp objects. objects. Um, so they've, anyway, they've done huge projects. Uh, Watchmen they worked on. Um, and it was my first experience getting to work with, uh, VFX house in that way. Like, I've made a lot of low budget indie films. I've worked with VFX artists, but never like a house. Uh, so that was really exciting. And, um, and they, you know, in addition to the more obvious VFX moments, like the bonds and they're one of my favorite shots is when Clara leaves the school and you have the little, uh, invisible barrier that, that opens up and she's able to leave the school. Um, they also did a lot of snow like Mm -hmm. we have we shot in the spring so the snow that's in the movie is a mix of practical snow by our special effects team the blood brothers um and vfx snow by real by fake so just getting to work with um with real by fake on on all of the elements was uh really fun and very fascinating and um yeah, interesting to get to have that education. It's easier to write they're held in place by magical bonds in a script. It's like one sentence. And then you when you see the amount of time and hours and effort to not just like, what do those bonds look like? How do we translate them? How do we make the glow right, the shadow right? How do we make it all work? Uh, 
uh, so it's it's you know it gives me renewed respect for 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 all the work you see and even the work you don't see some of the invisible stuff where they're you know they're adding a little snow here or they're taking out something you didn't want in the shot there it's it's also so amazing to watch the work that they can do speaking of that work and 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 the snow that you mentioned to my eyes uh when when Maisie gets got and the blood pattern in the snow it looked to me like wings yeah like a blood angel was that deliberate or was that uh, just a a lucky happenstance on the day it was a lucky happenstance on the day that we immediately were like it's blood wings like <laughs> we we saw the way the blood spread and uh, like i was literally looking at the screen like the monitor like blood wings so it was it was uh, a happy coincidence that we immediately embraced if there's anything i know from performing if something happens by accident or unplanned but it really works just take credit for it (laughs) (laughs) i but i also think the magic of of filmmaking is so incredible you know and those moments are are you know that's why we make movies to like Mm -hmm. get to have those moments you plan for a lot of things and you prep for a lot of things but once in a while like the blood will just spread in the exact way and you're like ah yes that's it. Speaking as a crew member, yeah, it's long days. Sometimes it's difficult days, but it beats slaving away in an office with the same people year after year after year. You get adventures and you get good stories in between all the stuff that makes it on camera. Uh, and speaking of making things on camera, like I said, Jeremy Holm was kind enough to be on the podcast. And I asked him if there's any plans for a Rangel sequel. And he did not say anything more than the single word of yes. So my question is, now that the the strikes are over, without revealing details, are, are the wheels in motion for that to happen soon? Or is it a little further down the road that there might be something uh, that you're working on prior to that? I would say it's a little further down the road. Fair. I, I wouldn't say it's something that is happening in the near, very near future. Okay. Uh, but of course, I've loved making the Ranger, and uh, that is a whole unit that could be a whole universe in itself. So um, we're certainly always bouncing ideas uh, for what the future of the Rangerverse might be. Yeah, there are a few fun ideas that are that are swirling around, and hopefully the time will be right for one of them to to take take seed and grow. I I I, I threw an idea at at Jeremy uh, of uh, the Ranger meets uh, Teddy Roosevelt of the Rough Riders, and for one day if you do <laughs> Ranger Begins, and all I ask in return is uh, you know crew jacket. That's it. Uh, I am available for set dressing and props. Um, but yes, as, as a child of the eighties, you know, I want some good, strong horror franchises to just keep going until our villain becomes the, the hero and the franchise goes to space. That, that is inevitable. And that's what I hope to see. I mean, the ranger in space needs to happen. For sure. Someday. Fingers crossed. 
that's what I'm hoping for. And uh, I'll be at some kind of screening where I can uh, applaud you uh, as well, because uh, it, it's it's a good time. And, um, you know, space punks or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know it's in good hands. You're, you're wonderful, talented people. <laughs> <laughs> But, there, there, there are a lot of ways we can bring the ranger back. We'll find the right one. Now I'm like, but how do we bring him back and send him to space at the same time? Oh, so, so, so we got to, we'll talk. We'll talk. <laughs> there, there's, there's, there's ways that you can do it. And by the seventh film, it doesn't even have to make sense anymore. <laughs> Fair. Fair. So where can the people find you online if they want to find you uh, after I... they, they've watched your wonderful film on Shutter or AMC Plus? Uh, both of those they're there yes i am on instagram and my username is at bubblegum and blood and the film is and the film is on instagram at the sacrifice game and i'm on and i'm on instagram and twitter or x or whatever we're calling it now at the redlitz t-h-e-r-e-d-l-i-t-z and the ranger is at the ranger movie on instagram Yes, and, and 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 it's wonderful. Make it a double feature. Show show it to your grandma for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Sean's mom likes sacrifice games, so clearly that demographic is covered. I uh, think that your parents, if you're listening, I think your parents will really like the sacrifice game. Show it to them. They they should. But also your it. kids. Your kids will also really like the perfect sacrifice family game. Christmas movie. Your family, your your parents, your kids, your aunt Tilly. Uh, <laughs> Theo Constantino, everybody should watch the movie. Uh, you can check out Spooky Doings Improv on Facebook for information about upcoming shows. Spooky Doings is also on Instagram. I'm at Rick Guzman 718 on the Tweety. And thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate the both of you. And you're fucking awesome. Rick, thank you for having us. Thank you for all your support for Jen's whole career uh, and, and for this opportunity just to hang out and chat. Thank cool. you. So everybody stay good, stay healthy. Stay spooky. Uh, Hell it is. <laughs>